I'm believing that God will give us a true revelation of the framework of His idea for church. Because what we're going to venture into as we've been walking through all 66 books of the Bible, Jesus uniquely revealed in every book, um, gone all the way through the Old Testament, now into the New. In these next three books, for, the, for this week and the next two, Jesus revealed in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then Titus. These are the pastoral letters that we read about in the New Testament. And so I just, I'm looking at that realizing, listen, if you aspire to have any role of church leadership, um, you really need to read these books. You need to understand some of the basis of where this apostle, this apostolic church leader of all leaders next to Jesus um, was used mightily to, to pen and author such incredible wisdom for the body of Christ. And as we see what Paul's writing and the charge he's giving, then we start to understand a little more of the importance of church. And, and, you know, we really are, we live in a society where it's kind of fashionable to hate on church a little bit, aren't we? Um, you know, I'm not into organized religion. And I, I just want to say to that, I'm into whatever God's into, and he's given a full structure of how this is to function. And Jesus didn't die so we could just become spiritual. Jesus died so we could be the inspired, empowered church that's impacting our world and leaving a lasting legacy that will outlive every single one of us. I'm thankful. Yeah, let's all thank God for that right now. We always give God's Word home field advantage here. I'm thankful for those who have devoted themselves when this church was just a little building around the corner years ago when those folks didn't know our names and we don't know most of their names, but they devoted themselves to a legacy, sacrificing, loving, serving, giving, so that the church then could continue to grow, acquire this property, build these buildings. And uh, listen, there are some people, there's an unborn generation yet to praise God that will come into a knowledge of Jesus Christ because you and I are here to leave a strong legacy of Jesus Christ in this community. Come on, we're going to leave a strong, powerful church that's making a lasting impact. That's part of the plan. Not just so we can grow spiritual, but so that we can really be the empowered church He's called us to be. And that, that was my prayer to the Lord, and I just felt like, as I then began to pray, Lord, what are you wanting to happen? What are you doing? And I just felt the Holy Spirit was saying that, um, that today, God is deepening us, and He's enriching us. So will you just receive that? Like, not just to walk out of here and be a little bit inspired, but really, truly be empowered by God as He's deepened us, and He's enriching us for more. So, Lord... Have your way in this house. Have your way in this place. None of us have this figured out. All of us have our issues, but we are family. You are our Father, and you've called us to love each other forward and leave a lasting legacy in the earth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I think when we start to understand, don't forsake, your, uh, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, we see that God's into our gathering, right? You can't go to church because you are the church. So we gather as the church and celebrate this wonderful king. And in this atmosphere where our worship begins to be united, where we begin to come into agreement over declarations of God's word. How many of you know enemies are more readily defeated and mountains are more readily removed and we join together in walking each other through some of the most difficult circumstances imaginable. Uh, but we do that with grace and we do that with strength and we do that with partnership 
And because of that, we're all stronger and we become more of what God's called us to be. So with that in mind, I think all of us can agree, uh, because we're here gathering today, that people who don't gather as the church... Uh, they really suffer from being more spiritually anemic. How many of you know there's some giants they simply are not going to conquer, some mountains they simply are not going to overtake uh, because there is an absence of something spiritually in their lives? I, I can't imagine walking through even what my family and I have walked through without the strength of God's family right there for me to lean on. Come on. Every one of us can say we're thankful for our Father and His family that's been given into our lives for great strength. So those that don't gather, they're, in a sense, spiritually anemic. But I want you to think about this. Because those who gather and come to church for the sake of coming to church, they don't really ever figure out what it is to really be the church. They don't really ever you know, engage on a level of sacrificial, like covering multitude of mistakes and so on, but rather they kind of live their lives disconnected for whatever reason. We show up and we sit in the seat and we sing if we like the songs and, and every once in a while we clap for the pastor or whoever's speaking that day. But uh, you know, really engaging, I, I want you to realize those who don't come are spiritually anemic in many ways, and those who come but they don't ever let it in, they're spiritually anemic as well. And Paul addresses this with Timothy very aggressively, very head-on, and I want us to see it. Jesus revealed in 1 Timothy, Jesus is our mentor revealed in mentors. In 1 Timothy, Jesus is revealed as our mentor. Our mentor revealed in mentors in our lives. So Paul, shortly after Jesus' death, he comes to know Christ for who he really is, and uh, he abandons his assignment, religiously speaking, of killing people for his religious cause. And suddenly now, he's willing to devote himself in complete uh, and utter sacrifice even of himself that the kingdom of God would expand, the work of Christ would expand in the earth. And so this apostolic leader who we, we look at this, uh, where he was in life, and we kind of deduce that he was in his 60s. Paul was, I'm sorry, Timothy was possibly uh, 40, 20 years younger, maybe a little more. And we see kind of this exchange and this, this conversation going very clearly in a very intimate mentoring relationship. We look at Scripture, and we find out that Timothy's father um, wasn't really given to spiritual things. We know that Timothy was uncircumcised, and so obviously in the culture of that day, that meant dad wasn't really given to making sure the progression of the law and that which was required was taking place. And so from all those things we evaluate, Paul steps in on Timothy's life, and he basically starts saying, I'm going to father you in the faith. I'm going to raise you up as a mighty son. How many know we need some men of God to step up? We need some women of God to step up to a fatherless, motherless generation and declare, he is our father, and together we become all he's called us to be. And so what we want to do is understand that element, embrace that element, and see just how vitally important that is in the church. It's an interesting statistic that one, um, three out of four 18 to 23-year-olds in our society, three out of four leave church in the ages of 18 to 23 for at least a year. What this means is out of youth... These young people step into our church world, the adult church world, and they don't connect for whatever reason, and then they leave the church. 73%, almost three out of four, 73% 
are leaving in our society. And, and part of that is because we've created and facilitated, well, we let the youth do the youth ministry. And then when you get too old to be in the youth ministry, you come into adult ministry. And in most churches, that looks so very different that the youth uh, graduating high school have a difficult time making it in to a, a culture shift into the mindset of something very different than what they've been exposed to. So if you come to a youth service at Destiny, you're going to experience some very similar vibes. And let me just tell you, it hasn't always been that way. And we've had a lot of conversations on the journey over the last um, several years that I've been the pastor here. And, and it, it hasn't always been well received that we're going to have some rock and music and more contemporary worship. And, and, and I just want you to know, I, you know, I am an old school rocker, but we don't do like my tastes of worship. That's not, that's not what drives this. What drives this is we are going to be relevant and inspiring and empowering the next generation church. You just have to recognize it's always the parents that make sacrifice for the children, isn't it? It's always the parents that speak the kids' language. No adult walks into a room when somebody's holding a baby and goes over to the baby and says, Hey, kid. They don't do that. Parents and adults have baby language. How many of you heard somebody melt into baby language babbling nonsense before, right? Like big, tough dudes all of a sudden. Like the, the, the adults speak the baby language. That's just the, the natural order of things, and that's the spiritual order of things as well. The mothers and fathers need to be making sacrifice to make a way to draw in the sons and daughters. And the Bible says in the last days, your sons and daughters will prophesy. They need to hear the voice of the Lord and declare the oracles of God in the earth and release the kingdom of God, prophesying to the bones. Let those bones live in Jesus' mighty name. And our sons and daughters will not do that if we do not train them up in that regard. And I think it's interesting, the statistic of 73% of 18 to 23-year-olds that leave the church at least for a year is cut in half when an older person in the church develops a relationship with them before they reach that age. One study showed just a text message every two weeks is enough to break that percentage in half. In other words, we become a family, a multi-generational family. And it is so important that we understand the value of those relationships in both directions. And so I want to kind of break out of my, my note here from back, for you guys back there. But in, in a blank I have, we understand the, generation, uh, the generational plan for our faith is when those who are young get validated and those who are older get valued. This is what I have figured out as a young man when I came here. Uh, I was looking for somebody to validate me to, yes, you're doing a good job, you're doing the right thing, you're on the right track. How I many know young people need that more than older people do? Young, I mean, we all need it at all ages, but young people really need to be validated. Really, young people need mothers and fathers to look at them and say, you are a mighty man or woman of God. I see greatness in you. That's exactly what happened to King David as a shepherd boy, and that's exactly what needs to happen to our teenagers and our, our young people in this church family where we're calling greatness out of them and we're releasing something in them, validating them. And then as we get older, the older we get, the more we need not necessarily to feel validated, but we need to feel valued. When we're cultivating those relationships accordingly, then actually that begins to be the result 
of all that being set into motion. And, and listen, it is vitally important that we have fathers and mothers in the faith. Like a variety of perspectives. Tracy and I, when we first got married, we just decided, you know, we want to, we want to go somewhere uh, in our lives, in our faith, in our marriage, in our family, in ministry expression. We, we want to go somewhere. And, and let me just ask this question. How many of you hope one year from today you're stronger in your faith? Raise your hand if you hope you're stronger in your faith one year from today. Okay, now, if you, if you know the phrase, I want you to say it with me, okay? Hope is not a strategy. Okay, let's all say it together. Hope is not a strategy. The question I have for you, if you want to grow, in, don't, don't be idle. If you want to grow in your faith, who are you looking at that becomes the mentor in your life, the picture that you view that has grown in their faith to a place where you want to be? That's the thing Tracy and I set our, our sights on. We found somebody in the faith that could really mentor us. We found somebody who had a marriage where they had grown old in friendship and loved each other and were friendly to each other, really kind to each other. And we asked them, how'd you do it? Mentor us in marriage. We found a family where the children loved God, loved the church, loved the parents, and loved each other. And we said, mentor us as parents so that we can become this. I mean, we found somebody whose net worth was better than ours so they could mentor us in finance. How many of you think your life will actually make great strides if you'll find people that'll help you put the pieces together correctly? When I was a young man, I, these guys played a joke on me, and they gave me a, a puzzle, and they actually dumped the pieces out of the puzzle and put another puzzle in the box. And they were just messing, kind of snickering, and they gave it to me, and I didn't really know what was going on. But, but later, you know, I was probably 18 years old or so, and, and I got bored one day, and I thought, man, I got that puzzle, I'm going to put it together. And I dumped the thing out and, you know, turned all the pieces over, and I set the box lid up there to look at the box lid and started trying to put the pieces. And I, I quickly realized, like, there are colors on these pieces I'm not seeing on that picture. And there are shapes on that picture that I'm not seeing on these pieces. And I realized those guys had duped me and were playing me, uh, you know, for a fool uh, because they put the wrong puzzle in there. And let me just say, that's what many of us are doing today. Hollywood has painted a picture of marriage. Hollywood has painted a picture of family. Hollywood has painted a picture of the world society uh, that we live in, has painted a picture of finance. And we're trying to put the pieces of our lives together, looking at the wrong picture. And it's not going to make sense until we get the picture right. And God's given us mothers and fathers to help us get this. This is Paul, and this is Timothy. Now, I want to just shift your thinking, because now I've got you thinking, you know, where do I need a mentor in my life? And, and again, our society has reduced Christianity to a self-serving religion. We've cultivated a theology that lands on everybody, trying to manipulate them and persuade them to do something, because it'll make their life so awesome. Listen, ministry uh, and the, the sacrificing of ourselves so that the kingdom can advance, it's not about an avenue of self-fulfillment as much as it is about an avenue of kingdom advancement. This is not about you having the best life you can possibly have and Jesus giving that to you. So even when I'm talking mentors and we're thinking, who, how can I get a mentor? I want you to turn that around and I want you to think, how can I make a difference in somebody else's life? 
Come on, that's the loving, serving, giving nature of Jesus where we bring application of our theology, not how I can get everything I want, but how I can provide. for. That's what mothers do. That's what fathers do. We make a difference in the the lives of the younger generation. We want to inspire and empower the next generation church. That happens in an organized way, and that happens in just a relational way. Give yourself to relationships that are younger than you. Give yourself to relationships in general. But understand, we have a great obligation. If sons and daughters are actually going to be raised up to prophesy in the last days, then that means we as mothers and fathers are called to rally a company of prophets together and impart something out of heaven into their hearts that will awaken the eternal purposes of God. Are you with me today? I believe God's calling us to a great place of advancement of his kingdom. So in relational element, do that. In an organized element, help us do that. That old merge card that I reference often. Listen, partner in the process of stepping in and helping in nursery ministry. If you have any heart for that, recognize, guys, it's not babysitting. There is impartation that comes by the laying on of hands. And there's something that you can release into the life of that infant if you will have faith with what God's calling you to. Help in the toddler, help in kids' ministry, children's ministry. Get involved in youth. Get involved in people's lives. You carry something that God's called you to carry to other people and and make those deposits effectively. And we have to work to do that. Otherwise, we just become so self-absorbed. Now, I just want to make this statement because there was this idea and just this, I'm laying a lot of groundwork for these three books, so bear with me. And we're going to take a a look at some portions of Scripture in Timothy in just a moment. But, But you do need to understand the value of the fathers in the faith, the mothers and fathers in the faith. And there was this idea, and it came out when uh, Eldridge wrote his book, Wild at Heart, and the Band of Brothers was, you know, a big movement in the church, whatever that was, a decade or maybe more ago. Uh, It's a great book, by the way, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. I highly recommend it. He talks about the wild heart of God that beats in our lives and how we try and contain Christianity. And how many know Jesus will not be contained? He just will not be contained. He's a warrior. And, and, and the, the concept of the book was so great, but there was one element of it where he really perpetuated this concept of banding together as brothers, and it's a healthy dynamic. But, but this is what I have figured out, and we need to all understand it and figure out how this equates in our equation. Encouragement does come from connecting with brothers. And generically speaking, brothers and sisters, okay? Encouragement will come in your faith and in your life from connecting with brothers. But you need to understand, blessing doesn't come until you submit to fathers. Fathers carry the blessing. You remember that story about Isaac and how he blessed Jacob when Jacob deceived him into thinking he was Esau? And like, I mean, I, don't, I read that lots of times and I always thought to myself, why in the world didn't Isaac just look at Esau after he came in and, and explain, why didn't he just say, I didn't know that was Jacob. He told me it was you. Here, let me give you the blessing. You know why he couldn't? Because there's something substantial about the blessing that you and I carry that can be given away. And that substance left his life and was imparted into his son. And that relinquishment had happened. He could not give what he had already given to the other brother. Listen, the blessing rests with the father. 
I want to say to you, hear my voice loud and clear, mothers and fathers in the faith, and I'm speaking to the sons and daughters who will become mothers and daughters in the faith, cultivate your faith in such a way, chase after the anointing in such a way that you're protecting your progress, that you're establishing yourself in greater strength, because you're carrying a blessing that you need to impart into the next generation before you graduate into heaven. It's the plan of God. And, and I'll just say, when a band of brothers encourage each other and get all excited and they abandon fathers in their life, they've gone astray. When a band of brothers abandon fathers, they've gone astray. And we need the encouragement and we need the blessing and we need the partnership as we walk it out. Just, just think, Elijah was a father to Elisha in Scripture. Elisha never saw Elijah as a hindrance to what God was doing. He saw Elijah as a part of his destiny. God used old school Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. Like that was all through the Old Testament. God used old school Pentecost as a platform and a foundation to launch something new in the book of Acts chapter 2 that he was doing. So we don't want to leave behind the roots that God's given us, but we're not going to dwell in the past. It's time for us to step forward into a relevance revolution that embraces the foundation upon which we stand and have great strength from generations before us who have fought their way through some giants that we don't have to fight anymore. Come on, let's give thanks to Jesus and for these mothers and fathers who have fought their way through, and we embrace that in Jesus' mighty name. We're stronger today as a result. And so Timothy embraced Paul as Paul pours out wisdom, cautions, and encouragement. And we want to start here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. And Paul tells Timothy, command certain people not to teach things that promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is Love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. So I just want to break down kind of the ideas he's sharing here so that we can see what was coming in the wisdom of the father uh, into the life of this son. I'm not going to re-preach this idea. I talked about this extensively last week. But this thing, avoid controversial speculations. Again, there are those whose lives are incomplete without a complaint. I talked about this last week. You don't even, these are, these are drama queens that were in this era of the church and they continue in the era of church. And I, and I just, I said in the first service, I want you to hear me say this so loud and clear. I have no axe to grind. I have nobody I'm thinking of. I'm not trying to point a message. Please don't ever think you show up and I would cater a message to an individual chair in this room. How ridiculous would that be for me to have to answer to God for such a thing? I'm just simply saying, clearly we're finding this in Scripture and we need to address so that every one of us can grow and be mature. Let me say to you, grow past allowing things to hold your faith and the resources of your life hostage all the time. 
if you're a person that's constantly perpetuating chaos and confusion and controversy, then you might need to examine because some people don't want relief from their problems because they like the attention that comes from having the problems. Therefore, some people actually are constantly perpetuating. This is what I figured out, though. People that talk about other people tell more about them than they do about the other people by what they're saying about the other people. And if they're saying something to you about somebody else, it's only a matter of time before they're saying something to somebody else about you. And Paul addresses this with Timothy. Help the church to grow in a place of maturity, moving past all this nonsense that's such chaos. And listen, there are people dying that need Jesus, and we cannot allow ourselves to keep all of our focus hostage on immature Christians who are not willing to grow up when we've got a lost and dying world waiting for us to show up with the power and the love of Jesus Christ. So last week we saw that, and it simply said, do not associate with them. Give them room to grow, and they can grow into a place of relating and connecting the church. And then the next statement that he makes is so powerful, and he speaks about um, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So I'm going to talk to you about the Greek word that we find in sincere faith. I'm going to address it next week as well. It's, it's repeated again in 2 Timothy. But what I want to do, not just inspire you with an insight, I want to empower you. So if you put up our first slide, I'm going to take you to my two key um, study websites whenever I'm trying to figure something out uh, in Scripture. This is BibleStudyTools.com, BibleStudyTools.com. And you just type in your verse right there. It pops up. That is my first go-to. It's got all kinds of commentary. You can spend way more time there than you have to spend there. If you're not careful, you get engrossed in it. But the whole thing up there, read, study, teach, up top, there are all kinds of resources at this website. Again, it is BibleStudyTools.com. And then the next one I want to point out is called BibleHub.com. What I like about this uh, particular site is if you put in a single verse like I have here, 1 Timothy 1.5, then it will give you, if you notice on the left, what that is is all the different translations. It gives NIV, NLT, English Standard Version, Berean Study Bible, Berean Literal Bible. It goes on down. One verse shown in all these translations right there at your fingertips. So it's a great uh, text to look at. And in that particular instance, we're looking at the lexicon. You just click that button up at the top, and you can see interlinear, interlinear and so forth. You can play with it, figure it out. But that's the verse we're looking at, and there are the Greek words. And the Greek word that actually translates sincere faith is, it, it, it literally means anti-hypocrite. Think about it. Though If I said it correctly, and I can't, uh, it almost sounds like I'm saying anti-hypocrite. But the Greek word literally is an expression of declaration. Anti, a sincere faith is an anti-hypocrite. In other words, you're everything other than assuming an actor's character that you're not. And in that day, the word hypocrite was interesting. When you study that out, it, it dealt with, with acting, and it dealt with almost like theater concepts. And it's, it's trying to present something like I'm assuming the character of another person as an expression to an audience for which I'm trying to perform. Do you hear what I'm saying? I want to say to you, that is not Christianity, but that happens largely in the church world in which you and I live. We assume a character of Mr. Nice Guy or Mrs. Nice Guy 
on behalf of an audience that we're going to see, and we express something that we're not, and we confuse the heck out of everybody. Just relax. Be you. Relax and be you. Stop feeling like the you God created isn't enough. It's enough. That's all he needs. He needs a legitimate, authentic seed so that he can cause you to become what he's called you to become, but you cannot be that legitimate seed until you rest in who he's called you to be. Then Jesus begins to come alive on another level. It's that whole confess your faults one to another, pray for each other, and you'll be healed. There'll be something enriching going on in your life when you become transparent. You're no longer trying to fake people out, present something of the faith. This is what Paul's saying to Timothy. Stop trying to do that. Come on, church, that's about who we are. So many of us are more worried about our reputation than we are about our character, and we've got that out of order. Your reputation is who other people think you are, but your character is about who you truly are. And that's your next blank if you jot that in. We want to be focused on the deeper, more meaningful issues, not the presentation side, but the deeper, more meaningful issues. I mean, if I've got something going on in my life, some action, rather than trying to dress it up and pretend it ain't going on, I need to go deeper and figure out at the core what's contributing to that perspective in my life. Paul goes on, he says in 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 15, as as a father is addressing character, you understand brothers tend to focus more on reputation while fathers tend to focus more on character, digging deeper. And this is exactly what's going on. Uh, Paul is fathering Timothy in this, and he says in 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 15, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. This is so important, and we're going we're gonna to just kind of, this will be our landing strip, but I want you to hear this and think about what I'm reading in verse 14. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. There are gifts that come through the submission to mothers and fathers as they pray for us, declare over us, lay their hands on us. He goes on, verse 15, be diligent in these matters and give yourself wholly to them that everyone may see your progress. So on that June 25th, Sunday, June 25th, when we gather, it's going to be a great weekend. We're going to have, uh, you know, we always do the, our 4th of July celebration, the last Sunday in June, kind of beat everybody to the punch, and we'll do fireworks out back at dark. That, that Sunday will be a great, great weekend for us. It's a 20-year ministry training reunion for our Master's Commission interns. People are coming in from all various places to be here for that. But there's something unique going to happen because we always do water baptism that night. That's why I'm asking you sign up if you want to be baptized in water. If either you've never been baptized or you didn't really connect your faith to that important event in your life. But that evening, we're going to invite everybody on the campus that's interested to come in here and we're going to have worship going. I want you to envision this with me. If you were here last year, you saw it. But worship is going to be taking place. We're going to introduce those that are being baptized. They're going to pass through waters. The enemy's going to be punched 
by the hand of God, literally strongholds are going to be broken, and then we're going to enact this particular portion of Scripture. And I just felt as I was preparing, the Lord was asking for me to lead this charge. And that night, after baptism takes place, we're going to invite people to give their lives to Jesus, those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. How many know people are going to meet Jesus and have their eternity changed that night in this room? And then we're going to ask people that are interested to come forward if they want to go deeper in their faith. And we're going to have our elders and our leaders right up here available to lay hands on people and believe for impartation of spiritual gifts. Listen to the verse again. It says, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. How many of you believe there is something of impartation we're to embrace when we submit ourselves to those that would be fathers and mothers in the faith? I was preaching in a church, and, and as I was preaching, there was this man, uh, and, and he was honestly just so annoying, so annoying. He was just, I could hear him, and he was, you know, the whole time I was preaching, it was so distracting. And at the end of the service, I mean, it was amazing because like the altar call, people flooded forward way better than I preached. And I found out it was his praying more than my preaching because I was so distracted. But this guy was actually an armor bearer to Smith Wigglesworth, traveled with Smith Wigglesworth. If you know anything about uh, Smith Wigglesworth, you know he is a giant, a modern-day giant who now is with Jesus. But this guy was his armor bearer, carried his Bible, walked with him, prayed for him, and he was now old and, and couldn't hardly hear, couldn't hardly see, and they would bring him to church, and they would kind of sit him in the back, and he would just get on his knees whenever somebody would start preaching, just like he did when Smith Wigglesworth would preach, and he would just begin to pray, and he was rattling the gates of hell, and he was releasing something of heaven in the room. And I thought all the people were coming because I preached so great. No, they came because he prayed so hard. And they began to tell me who he was as I asked. And I said, would you please, please, if he's not gone, bring him to me. Take me to him. Let me meet this guy. And when I walked up to him, I just said, will you lay your hands on me and pray for impartation? I want that radical spirit that we saw God releasing in Smith Wigglesworth. That was so phenomenal. And I just said, please pray for me. He laid his hands on me, and I'm telling you that as he began to pray, there was fire from heaven. There was stuff going off inside of me. I was being awakened to spiritual gifts, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me that I had downloaded and was carrying some gifts that did not even belong to me. I would never preach out of some of those gifts. I would never prophesy out of some of those gifts. I would never function in those gifts. I would carry them and incubate them and in a place of prayer cultivate them so that one day I could lay hands on people and release that spirit of God upon them and it was shortly after that that I was speaking in this conference in England from a group of, of radical ministry people uh, it's called Battelle and most of them are former heroin addicts, and, and they, they come in and they, they do this very unique, it's like a 12-step housing program, and walk them through. And, and these guys, um, men and women, they came from Scotland, Ireland, England for this big conference. And, and as I was speaking and declaring and, and sharing a little of my story with the history of drugs, suddenly there was a brotherhood that existed. And as I was preaching, these guys, listen, these guys were not conventional religious thinkers. 
When I would say something they liked, they didn't say, amen, brother. They got up and took a stick. Many of them had sticks in the room. And when I said something they liked, they'd walk out in the aisle and they'd just start beating the stick on the ground looking at me. The first time they did it, it freaked me out. And then I realized it was a great compliment. And they were saying, you're waking up the warriors in the room. You're waking up the warriors in the room. Right now, I'm waking up the warriors in the room. I'm waking up the warriors in this room. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up to the warfare that God has called you to be victorious! Hey! We are waking up! We are waking up! Bless you, Lord! Jesus! We will hiss the enemy away by the clapping of our hands! I finished speaking in that big Coliseum area where they were. And I came over by the stage and a bunch of guys had come forward. And as I was standing by the stage, those guys crowd surfed me. They literally crowd surfed me. They hoisted me up and they surfed me to back there and surfed me over there. And I was just like, whoa. This is not normal, you know? That's what I was thinking. This is crazy. And it was, it was one, of the most, one of the most highlights of my life, of ministry. But as I was crowd surfing, after I got past feeling like this is wild, they touch you everywhere when they crowd surf you, by the way. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, this is wild. And the Holy Spirit said to me, the impartation goes both ways. And tonight, a radical spirit has come upon you that these young warriors carry. I'm telling you, God wants to establish something within you. God wants to develop something. Somebody's got to just get radical. Declaring the kingdom of God is advancing. So this is... This is the landing strip challenge for you. We, we do this every week. Like God has stirred something up. God has deepened us. God has enriched us. He said that's what he wanted to do. He's done that. He's good with his word. My question to everybody in this room, what will we do now with what God has entrusted to our care? Every Sunday, that's why we give an action point. We want to conclude with an action point, and I want you to pray about how you can mentor the next generation. How can you get involved? How can you get engaged? How can you make a difference in the next generation? We must raise up mighty sons and daughters of God.